So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Romans 14 or pull that up on your, on your phone if you'd like to. I'm gonna be reading from the NIV. The NIV, the heading for Romans 14 in the NIV says, the weak and the strong. Um, if you have an ESV translation around human relationships, it will say, do not pass judgment on one another. Do not cause another to stumble. If you're reading from the message, perhaps from Eugene Peterson, it just simply says, cultivating good relationships. That's what we wanna talk about together today because Romans 14 is exhortation about human relationships in the church family. As brothers and sisters in Christ, this is encouragement and exhortation for us to be on the journey together in the same family. I believe that uh, sustained life change, like real lasting transformation in our lives as followers of Jesus takes place best in the context of human relationships, that we are a part of the family. One of our three core values is being family oriented. So we wanna engage with that kind of an idea in mind. We want to Rivers Church simply to be a place for you to belong. It's not a place to go. It's a people that we belong with. It's a place to know and be known, to worship God together, serve God together, and be in relationship with each other um, as we walk through life together. And we celebrate the joys. Uh, we rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn in every area in between those things. Um, author and pastor Larry Crabb uh, one of my favorite quotes about just relationships says this, as our lungs require air, so our souls require what only community provides. And he's speaking to the church. We are designed to live in relationship. Without it, we die. It's really that simple. God has created us to be in relationship with himself and relationship with each other. Uh, two truths that I believe that we are in full agreement in. I don't know that I have to convince you of these two truths. I just think in my discernment that we would all agree with this. Two things. One, we are made for relationship with one another. And two, Having relationships with one another is hard. Yes, can we just agree on that? It requires work and intentionality. We are made to be in relationship with each other and we understand and know that being in relationship is hard. We do a, a good amount of premarital work at Two Rivers, which I'm so thankful for. Uh, young people uh, falling in love and uh, entering into um, an intentional process of premarital uh, to be wed. And so I've done lots of weddings and a lot of premarital. And when we get to that session around communication and conflict within a marriage, the statement that I always make is the question isn't, are you going to have conflict in your marriage? You will. And all of the married couples in the room go, yes. Yes, it's true. The question isn't, are you going to have conflict? The question is, can you traverse conflict with each other in a healthy and honoring way and maintain connection with each other in the conflict and through the conflict? Uh, Lindsay and I have learned hard lessons about this and sometimes we do it really well and sometimes we don't do it very well. And we're growing and maturing in our own journey. That's just a reality uh, for um, a marriage relationship. 
As we think about being in the same church family, a Two Rivers Church family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not a matter of if there's going to be some conflict among us. Uh, there will be conflict among the community that calls Two Rivers Church its family, its church family. The question is, can we handle it when it bubbles up in a healthy and honoring way? Can we stay connected to each other and get through the conflict together and not divide? That really is the question. I, I wanna tell you guys, I'm not addressing this topic today because um, there's a very specific issue that's happening in a life group. And it's like, I'm just gonna preach on this because this life group is blowing up and they can't get along with each other. There's nothing really specific necessarily in our church family that's caused me to, to, to speak on this today, but I do think it's pretty specific to our culture and the days that we are living in. And so it's general, but I also think it's specific to us. And so I, I hope this will be um, encouraging, strengthening, challenging uh, for all of us uh, today. Family relationships are beautiful. Think of your family of origin. Yeah, your family that you're in, they're beautiful and wonderful, and they are also hard. This is true in our, 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 our family, our, our, our brothers and sisters and spouses and siblings and, and sons and daughters and aunts and uncles and all that, but it's also this family. It's beautiful, but it's also hard sometimes. And relationships with each other in the same family, it requires patience with one another. And it requires some humility in us to take responsibility for our part in something that was disruptive. And it requires confession. And it requires forgiveness, amen? And it requires more patience. And it requires more forgiveness and endurance sometimes. Simply stated, uh, human relationships in family, it requires Work And if our human relationships are healthy, I think what James exhorts us to in James 1 will be present here among us, where he says, be quick to listen to each other. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Turn that upside down. Thank you, James. Need that this morning. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. If it's healthy, if there are healthy relationships among us, there is a sense of personal responsibility, humility, repentance, and relational restoration. But if unhealthy, what Paul warns us to avoid, he writes to the church in, in Ephesians, uh, in Ephesus, and he writes, and he goes, get rid, get rid of all bitterness and get rid of rage and get rid of anger and get rid of harsh words and get rid of slander. These things aren't to be present in the body of Christ. But those things can bubble up if we're not careful. If unhealthy, there can be defensiveness and stonewalling and judgment and anger and apathy. And these things don't build bridges, they build walls between us. The question, why do these unhealthy, and I would say ungodly things, why do these unhealthy, ungodly things show up in our lives? And I'm gonna say our, including myself in the conversation. I'm not gonna say you, I'm gonna say me and we. I think we just need to own the fact that our flesh can get in the way. 
Our flesh can get in the way of healthy relationships. Our woundedness and our brokenness can get in the way of healthy relationships. Loved people, love people. Bless people, bless people. But you know what? Hurt people also hurt people. And wounded people can hurt people, even people that they love and care for. So our flesh gets in the way. Our pride gets in the way. We get blinded by the ways of the world, like the way of the world, we get blinded, we get caught up in it, or the way of the enemy whose work is to steal, kill, and destroy, who is to create an environment of disunity among God's people as opposed to unity. So we need to be careful of the ways of the world. We need to be careful of our flesh. We need to be careful of the lies of the enemy. We need around healthy relationships. I believe this. We need to be biblically encouraged and exhorted. We've said this before. You've heard me say this before. The Greek word that is translated encourage and exhort is the same word. We need to be encouraged and exhorted biblically about these things in our lives. I don't know if you know this or not, uh, but... um, All of us in this room, you guys have different opinions about things. What? Yes, it's true. Yes, it's true. You have different opinions about things. You have different convictions about things. You have different ways of thinking about life and culture and politics. What? Yes, very much so. We have different thoughts and convictions about race and the pandemic and vaccines and on and on and on and on. We got lots of opinions here. A lot of thoughts, lots of perspectives. Has anybody um, been on social media lately and have read or seen like Christians literally berating each other? It's so ugly. And I think one of the things that we have to understand about this culture today is that personal opinions have never been more public because we post them on our social media accounts and social media sometimes, if we're not careful, it can be a way for for us to scream at each other about what we think everybody else should agree with. And we just get on there and we scream at each other and it makes me feel sad. Um, Painful disagreements that we are having, certainly we, I include all of us in the room in that, I can't just, be blamed on social media or blamed on mainstream media. Certainly, I think there's wisdom in understanding and seeing that social media and mainstream media tend to stoke the fire of disunity among people. But our disagreements that we're having can't simply just be blamed on social media and mainstream media. Our flesh is at play. The ways of the world is at play. The lies of the enemy are at play. And this is nothing new under the sun. Did you know that almost every single pastoral epistle in the New Testament addresses quarreling within the church family? Paul addresses it to churches who were struggling. They were struggling along, they were limping along, and there was was quarreling and strife in that community. He talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He talks about this in his letter to the church in Philippi. He talks about this in his church um, in Galatians. Paul addresses it with churches that were having doctrinal issues. His letter to the Roman church, he addresses it in personal letters. Philemon and 1 Timothy. Here is where the New Testament is clear about this conversation. Conflict is inevitable among brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Conflict is inevitable, and we must learn how to engage it honorably. And that is my hope and prayer that I can be a conduit of that to help us do that today. Um, and when I was in seminary at Biola University, this was uh, 07, 08, um, I didn't have an opportunity to meet Dr. Uh, Rick Langer. He perhaps came there after I left. Um, but I get a, every quarter we get like a periodical from Talbot School of Theology where I got my master's from. And uh, he wrote an article in the fall. And that's what kind of began me even thinking about this, this would be really good for us to talk about with our church family. And he wrote an article this fall that's called a Winsome Conviction. And the whole purpose of the article is to equip us believers to learn how to have faithful disagreements about personal convictions, to have faithful, honorable, respectful conversations with people in the church where there's a difference of opinion or personal conviction about things. I wanna quote him and I'm gonna quote him a number of times in our message today. He says in the article, we live in what communication scholars call the argument culture. You are living in the argument culture. It is a world where we refuse to listen to one another. We demonize each other's perspectives and we habitually oversimplify and distort competing views. The public square has become a boxing ring, a venue for entertaining the masses with verbal fisticuffs. Worse yet, the church is little different. The only thing more difficult than discussing Christian convictions in the public square is discussing them with other fellow believers. This may seem counterintuitive, but it is true. We may have more disagreements with non-believers, but our disagreements with fellow believers are often more problematic and more emotionally charged. I'm gonna use this article uh, to help us traverse this so that we can learn and grow and what it looks like for us as a church family to have faithful disagreement with differing personal convictions. I also want to mention this has been a bit of a group effort. I've been thinking about this for uh, a little while. Uh, and so Lindsay has been very helpful in this process with me, uh, Paul Anglin on our leadership team, my friend Jimmy Page, and also Jody Green. Those four have been helpful in helping me pull this together. So this is a bit of a group teaching today. So I wanna uh, make sure that you were aware of that as well. So let, let's turn to Romans 14. I'm gonna read the first eight verses. We'll talk about that. And then we'll read the, the rest of the passage and talk about that. We'll break this up and couple of places. Paul writing to the Roman church, house churches, house churches in Rome, brand new house churches, brand new believers in Christ. And he says, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One's man faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables the man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. God has accepted both the person who is free to eat meat and God has accepted the person who abstains from eating meat. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? 
To his own master, he stands or falls. He will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. Verse five, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. And he who eats meat eats to the Lord for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and also gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we, we belong to the Lord. We is those in this church that were abstaining from meat and those in this church that were free to eat meat. Those in this church who saw one day the Sabbath as sacred and also we belong who sees every day alike. Everyone belongs to the Lord. Here's the context in Romans church. The people that Paul are writing to are made up of two profoundly different groups of people. You had Torah observing Jewish followers of Jesus who were abstaining from meat and eating only vegetables. Messianic Jews who saw the Sabbath as the day, one day a week to worship God. And then you had Gentile, new believers, brand new Jesus followers who were free to eat everything. And they saw every day alike. I mean, they were like, we can worship on a Tuesday, you guys. Why does it always have to be on Saturday or Sunday? Like Tuesday morning is a great time to do this. And let's grill some ribeye steak for it, no less, <laughs> after church. And the other people in the church was like, what are you talking about? That's not how you follow and love and devote yourself to Jesus. You don't eat meat and you worship only on the Sabbath. And they're like, well, I think it's foolish. Only, why can't we worship God every? So do you see the conflict? that was happening in the Roman church. There's two things in this real, actual conflict that was happening uh, that I wanna point out from these eight verses. One, verse one says, there are, there can be, there are disputable matters. He says, accept him whose faith is weak, whose faith is different than yours, without passing judgment on disputable matters. There are disputable matters, meaning there are personal convictions within this church community that were different and neither of them were right or wrong. Paul isn't saying one was right and the other was wrong. Neither are right or wrong. This isn't black and white stuff. This is disputable matters. These are personal conviction stuff. And Paul is giving room. He's giving room for this in the church. There's room for this here as well, are disputable matters. Secondly, uh, he says in verse five, each one should be convinced in his own mind. Each one is singular. So if you have a personal conviction about diets or days, you should be fully convinced in your own mind why you have that very specific personal conviction that may be different from someone else in your church family. The convictions that Paul wants them to own and, and, and even be developed is personal because they are formed by the individual. 
Uh, these are not general commands to the entire church. There's not a general command. There's not an absolute truth about days and diets that Paul is gonna talk to the church about. There's room for disputable matters and each person should be convinced in his own mind about their personal conviction. So what we're talking about today is understanding how to have unity, how to have faithful disagreement about a diversity of personal convictions within the body of Christ. Are you with me right now? What we're not talking about is absolute convictions. So I wanna make sure that we understand the difference between personal convictions and absolute convictions because they are different. Absolute convictions are theological beliefs that define the reality of our Christian faith. The deity of Christ, Jesus, Jesus is God and he died in our place and he rose again. We talk about the deity of Christ, the atonement of the cross, the resurrection of Jesus. These are absolute convictions. We talk about the authority of scripture for us. This is God breathed. This is God's very words to us. And we come under the authority of scripture and submission because we trust God and we come under it because this is authority absolute conviction, the authority of scripture. They, they may also include like moral mandates that are clearly given in scripture to the entire church. Things like loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Absolute convictions are truths for all believers to understand, embrace, and live by. These are examples of Christian absolutes. And you walk away from these you walk away from the deity of Christ. You walk away from the resurrection of Christ. You walk away from the authority of scripture. You're walking away from Christianity itself. And that's to be distinguished in our conversation today about personal convictions. We're not talking about absolute convictions. We're talking about personal convictions. When it comes to absolute convictions, this is what Jude calls us to. In Jude verse three, he says, I had to write to you to contend or fight for the faith, the Christian faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. And so we wanna make a distinction between absolute convictions and personal convictions. What I want you to think about with me is just that phrase, personal convictions. Personal means personal. I have a personal conviction. So personal needs to be, it's not for all people. It's not for everyone, it's for you, it's for me. It's, that's why it's a personal conviction. Now we can talk to others about our personal convictions, but we must remember that they are not universally applied to everyone, but rather practiced by myself because it's a personal conviction. Are you guys with me? Also, let's make a distinction between conviction and like preferences. We're talking about convictions here. We're not talking about preferences. Like I have a preference around coffee. I like to drink coffee. I think it's weird for people to put a cream and sugar in their coffee. Like if you're gonna drink coffee, just drink coffee. Like it's my preference. And I say that and some of you like actually like cream and sugar. Like that's so he's weird. But we're not gonna have conflict over that. We can just like laugh at each other about our preferences. We're like ice cream. Like you like chocolate or vanilla. Well, I kind of like them both, but if I'm choosing, I really want Rocky Road or mint chocolate chip. That's my preference, right? So we're not talking about preferences and preferences among the body of Christ don't tend to create conflict among us. We tease each other about it. We traverse it pretty easily, but convictions, oh man, convictions, personal convictions, that can drive some disunity. Would you agree? 
So it's a personal conviction. Here's a conviction. Here's how I want to define conviction for you. Convictions are things that we believe are pleasing to the Lord because of our devotion to the Lord. I have a personal conviction about something. I love Jesus and this pleases Jesus and it's a personal conviction. Now in our text, Romans 14, there were differing convictions about food, about diet and about days of worship. And in our community here, Two Rivers, let's pull it to 2021, there are many more personal convictions than these. I'm just gonna throw out three, just for some fun. Let's just have some fun together. I don't know if you know this or not, but you guys got a lot of personal convictions. And I've heard a lot of them over the last year. Like, I just know what they are. And they're different in the room. They're different. Uh, maybe you've had a conversation before about a personal conviction over someone who is of age consuming alcoholic beverages. People have different convictions about that. Would you guys agree with that? Both convictions of those are driven by a desire to love and honor Jesus, but there are different convictions about that. Whoo, man, this little... Anybody heard of the word unprecedented in the last year? This is, sorry, God, why did I do that? That's not even my notes. Anyway, <laughs> pandemic convictions abound. Mercy, Lord, mercy, we need your mercy. Boy, we got, we got, we got convictions about masks. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's, there's a difference of opinion about masks out there, everybody, right? There just is. Uh, the vaccine, we got, we got different personal convictions about the vaccine. Here's a third one. How does the gospel of Jesus inform our understanding of ethnicity and gospel reconciliation, right? These are just three ones that I just kind of thought up. I was talking to someone after the first service. He's like, oh my gosh, I wrote down like 10 more after you said those three, right? There's lots of things that we could include in this conversation. We have, we have strong opinions, there's personal convictions. People that are sitting around you in this room right now, who are your brothers and sisters in Christ, they call upon the name of Jesus. They follow Jesus, they love Jesus. We're in the same family. We're brothers and sisters in the same family. People in this room right now that are sitting around you right now have different personal convictions about the three examples that I just read. Do you guys know that? Can we just, can we just know that and take that in? It's different. People don't have the same personal convictions about these things. Question, how do we maintain our unity how do we maintain honor? How do we maintain friendship when we have different personal convictions about things like this? And I'm so thankful that we have the living word of God to help us know how to do this well. Let's continue to read in Romans chapter 14. Paul says to the church, they're battling over the personal convictions of diet and days. And in verse nine, he says, for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Paul centers the conversation right in the center of the gospel. 
It's the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That is the reality that unites us all. And we gotta make sure that we understand where center is. First and foremost, we need to understand where our center is. It's Jesus, his death, his resurrection. We are saved of Jesus. We are brothers and sisters and we can unite always on that truth. He centers it in the gospel. Because, but because he's so relevant, he's gonna continue to teach them about how to traverse this well, because he's empowering them to own their own personal convictions. He says, you then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each of us will give an account of our personal convictions. Verse 13, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. That's pretty simply stated. Let us stop passing judgment. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. Now remember, Paul was Jewish to the core. In Acts 8, before he met Jesus, he was killing the Christians. He was a Pharisee. And now he's a believer and the, 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 his purpose was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul is being clear here with this church in Rome about what his own personal conviction is. Even though he grew up Jewish, his personal conviction is like, you're free to eat meat. Like I, that is my personal conviction. He makes it clear right there in verse 14. I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But anyone who regards something as unclean, then for him, it is unclean. He also acknowledges and honors those of his Jewish brethren who are also following Jesus to go, it is okay that you still abstain. Do you guys see this in the text? If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Who's he talking to here? He's talking to the Gentile believers who are free to eat meat. And he's like, look, don't use your freedom to throw it in the face of your brother who is abstaining. And if you are abstaining, don't judge your brother for his freedom to eat meat. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Yes, there are disputable matters. Yes, you get to have personal convictions, but the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Here are the two issues that were dis disrupting, disunifying the Roman house churches. There was judgment happening and there was looking down on. The, those who were abstaining from eat and those who saw one day as sacred, they were judging those who were free to eat meat and those who are free to worship any day. And those who were in freedom to do those things were looking down on those who were abstaining. That was the issue. And you think when you read these passages, you think that Paul might say, you know, stop it with all this like personal conviction stuff about days and diets. 
And you might think he would say, what you guys need to do is get a church meeting together and all of you resolve to what, what it's gonna be. Is it gonna be every day or one day? Make a choice and everybody's gotta get united. Or is it gonna be, we're all gonna eat meat or no one's gonna eat meat? You might think that that's what he would say to the church, like have a meeting and decide, but that's not what he says at all. That's not what we see in the text. He doesn't say that. He actually honors the different personal convictions that people had. He doesn't dismiss days and diets as trivial. He's saying to them, your personal convictions matter. I think he's saying like, regardless of your differences, and there are differences certainly that are creating conflict within your community, don't judge and don't have disdain for each other, but be able to enjoy worship together and be able to have a table fellowship together as siblings in Christ with respect and honor and love for each other. Why? Because you are centered in Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection unites everything beyond the personal convictions. Stop majoring in the minors and major in the major and have unity and have honor among the differences. If the watching world The watching world is moved by our unity in spite of our differences, not our unity because of our uniformity. For the watching world to see the body of Christ have unity among the differences, right? Different personal convictions, old, young, different races, every every tribe, tongue, nation, right? Like unity, the beautiful unity of the gospel among differences. The hallmark of extremist groups is their unity based on uniformity. But a hallmark of the church must be unity based on our differences because of Jesus. The reason that Paul is exhorting the church against judging each other and looking down on one another is because they are brothers and sisters and followers of one Lord, the same Lord. And because each person, he says, will give an account of their personal conviction before Jesus. And I just think that reality that we will stand, not, not, not before the great white throne of judgment. We talked about this in Daniel. That's, for, that, that's not for believers. That's at the second coming. Uh, we're talking about when believers stand before Jesus. We're already in heaven and he will engage with us about our personal convictions. And I think the reality that we will give an account before God about our personal convictions changes the conversation a little bit. It certainly makes it more serious for me in this way. Um, We're not talking about my tastes or preferences. We're talking about convictions and we need to think through them until we are fully convinced in our own minds. Because one day we'll give an account to Jesus about this. So what Paul exhorts here in Romans 14 is honor, is faithful honor, respect, faithful disagreement in the space of different personal convictions. They're, they're get, we, we get to have, there are disputable matters. And we do not need to reach full agreement with our brothers and sisters about personal convictions. I hope that's freeing for you. I hope that's freeing for us. I, I pray that it even becomes more freeing for us. This is what Dr. Langer, 
in his article calls faithful disagreement. He says, this is an area where faithful Christians can disagree with one another about deeply held convictions without having to change each other's minds. Pastor Rick Warren says, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means that you agree with everything that they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You do not have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. I read those two quotes and I I see what these pastors and these leaders are saying. And what I hear them saying is this, we agree with Paul's teaching in Romans chapter 14. We must learn church family. We must learn faithful disagreement. We must learn to act in love for the sake of our brothers and sisters that we disagree with about personal conviction. Here's how Paul lands the plane, verse 14. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Yes, you get to have personal convictions. Yes, I'm honoring your personal convictions. Yes, I'm exhorting you not to allow personal convictions to to divide you. But hear this, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. If I could paraphrase that for us this morning. The kingdom of God is not a matter of where you land on non-essential realities. The kingdom of God is not a matter of masks or politics or vaccines or where you land on these things. The kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. And that's where our unity is. Even if we are different about some of these things, here's where uh, we must have discernment from the Holy Spirit as we are walking this out with each other in relationship in the same family. Personal convictions, my personal convictions, your personal convictions, personal convictions are drawn from absolute conviction. Now we're distinguishing personal conviction from absolute conviction, but personal convictions tend to be drawn from our absolute conviction. Think about the Roman church, days and diets, their personal convictions about days and diets were drawn from their absolute conviction about love and devotion to Jesus and how they, how they worked that through was a little different and it was dividing them. But both came out of an absolute conviction of love and devotion to Jesus, but personal convictions are not absolute convictions. And here is where we need discernment because here is where uh, this gets really tricky in human relationships. A single absolute conviction may lead to two different personal convictions. The danger is that we confuse the absolute with the personal and then assume that anyone who disputes my personal conviction is also disputing the absolute conviction. And when we do that, when we give that room that you have a different personal conviction than me. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, like, you don't even agree with the absolute conviction of love and devotion to Jesus. When that happens, we are opening the door for judgment. We are opening the door for looking down on each other. We are opening the door for disunity. 
And I'm so thankful that Paul continues his exhortation. This will be our last two verses. Verse 19, let us therefore make every effort. By the way, the gospel is opposed to earning but the gospel is not opposed to effort. We have to be intentional about this conversation, church. Let us therefore make every effort. There's another scripture that says, as far as it is up to me, I wanna live at peace with everyone. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of your personal conviction. It's pretty clear, isn't it? The priority isn't your personal conviction. I'm honoring your personal conviction. It's honored and I wanna listen to it. I wanna respect it. I wanna hear about yours and I, I want you to listen to mine, right? But the priority is the sake of the gospel, the priority is the sake of our unity. The priority is the sake of our witness to the unbelieving world. Simply stated, we do not have to share the same personal convictions about everything. And two, let me say this. Don't assume that who you are talking to about personal conviction automatically has the same personal convictions as you do. Some of us have probably been in this situation before. And, you know, when we talk about personal conviction, there tends to be a little bit of passion around it. And I think if we're not careful, what can happen is I'm speaking passionately about my personal conviction and I'm assuming that everyone around me either does agree with me or they should agree with me. And newsflash, everybody, not everybody agrees with you. I wanna say that in a loving way, but in an assertive way. Your personal conviction about the three things that we listed, not everybody in the body of Christ agrees with you and they don't have to agree with you. So be careful when you're communicating your personal conviction that you don't assume that they already agree with you or that they should. Is that fair? I think it's, I, I just, I need to be reminded of that. So maybe, maybe this, maybe this. Here's a thought, pastoral thought counsel encouragement. Maybe it's this. Hey, like I noticed, you know, on your post that you, I, I just, I want to hear more about that. And I want to tell you on the front end, like I have a different personal conviction, but I really want to listen to yours. And I hope that you're willing to listen to mine. Right? Like I have one that's different, I, but I really, I want to start with listening to yours. And I hope that you'll be willing to listen to mine. And we can stay unified in Jesus, no matter if it's different. We can and must be able to disagree faithfully without being disrespectful. Here's the exhortation of Romans 14, very clear. Don't judge people that have a different personal conviction than you. Don't look down on people that have a different personal conviction of you. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of your personal conviction. This maintains our unity. It maintains our friendship and our community. May we not refuse to listen, but may we go out of our way actually to listen to someone who has a different perspective, personal conviction than you do. We must not refuse to listen, but listen to each other for the sake of honor, not for the sake of agreement, not for the sake of convincing someone, but for honor's sake, unity's sake and love's sake. I believe that if the church hopes to look different 
in the eyes of the watching world, there must be love, there must be honor and unity in the midst of our differences. Here's the invitation as we close. Worship team, you can come back. Here's the invitation. Different personal convictions in the body of Christ are a gospel opportunity for us, right? Knowing that people in our church family have different personal convictions about things than we do creates an opportunity, a gospel opportunity for us to view these controversial and sometimes off divisive issues as an opportunity to put on display our love and charity for each other in spite of those differences. So what we are saying today is not this. We aren't saying that unity and honor is avoiding the hard conversations about our different personal convictions. We, we aren't saying avoid the conversation about diets and days. What we're inviting you to consider is just the opposite. We're saying that unity and honor is leaning in to these conversations and maintaining friendship and unity together. To be intentional even about pursuing conversations with people who think differently than you. Someone posts something on a social media platform and you go to church with that person and it's very different from you. Instead of coming in and be like, oh, it's like, hey, can we get coffee? I just wanna hear more. I just wanna hear more. And if somebody engages you in that way, please don't automatically assume that they agree with you, but be willing to share your personal convictions. Like, I really wanna hear what you think because I know that not everybody agrees with me and that's okay. We gotta have those conversations. The goal is an agreement. The goal isn't convincing or persuading, but to listen and to stay unified in Jesus. Side note, personal, personal preference. Maybe you don't have the conversation via text or DM. Maybe you actually have a face-to-face -face conversation. My friend Kevin, I, I just, I'm just gonna say this. Like we, this summer we had a conversation. We had different personal conviction about something. Kevin honored the relationship. He honored me, he honored the relationship. He came to me personally. We talked it through. We didn't agree on everything either, but this is my brother and we're in the same family and we can do this with each other. And I'm so thankful for his courage not to just be like disrupted and just be like, blah, 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 you know, and not talk to me about it. You know, but he talked to me about it. He did it the right way. I'm so thankful for that, bro. Think about an argument that you've had either real or often the arguments that we have in our heads. Oh, if I ever, if I see her, if I ever, yeah. Uh, most of the time it's in our head with someone. What would it look like for you to filter that argument real or in your head through this gospel opportunity lens and see if the Lord has anything to say to you about it? And as much as we might wanna say, gosh, so-and-so really needs to hear this message, man, when this thing gets posted on YouTube, I'm gonna send this to so-and-so because they really need to hear this, right? Maybe, maybe what we could do is just make this about us personally. 
How do we first have the courage to ask ourselves if we would extend this kind of love and charity to those who have different personal convictions as we do? Who is someone in this church family that you need to reach out to and develop relationship with? Jesus said this at the Last Supper. He said, they will know that you are my disciples based on the love that you have for each other. That's how they'll know. It doesn't say they're gonna know you're my disciples based on your personal convictions about days and diets. It says they're gonna know because of the way you love each other even when there's differences. And Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, be kind, be compassionate to one another, forgive each other just as in Christ God has forgiven Let us, let us worship God as a response.